So my name's Isai. It's like uh, acai, but with an E sound, like an acai bowl, but Isai. That's helpful for some people. Maybe it's helpful for you too. I'm just blessed to be able to share with you guys. Um, we are in our last week of our nine-part manifesto series. And can I say, this, ser- this series has truly been a blessing to me. We've been encouraged. We've been challenged. Uh, we've been called to make Jesus the center of our faith, the center of our life. And every single pastor that's come through here and spoken in this series has crushed it. But can I say, man, Pastor Tim has just been spitting some fire. He's, he's, he's preaching some amazing sermons. And we're just, he's not here right now, but when he's here, show him some love. Because we're so blessed to be able to have somebody like him preaching every single week. I love that we can be a church that's truly about scripture. That, that doesn't like skip over the hard text, you know. We read something, we skip over it. We, we don't, you know, we want to go through every, even the hard stuff. I love that we can look at scripture and truly think, how can this apply to my life? What is scripture truly trying to say? So we have arrived in our last uh, chapter in the book of Colossians, the very last chapter. We're going to read that today. And Paul has a history of having really good endings to his letter. Really good. It's oftentimes his, how he ends his letters that give us kind of a sense of who he truly is and what he's trying to do. And this book, this ending is no different. In Colossians, it has one of the best, one of my favorite endings in, of any of Paul's letters. It's so good. It tells us more about Paul's character and it encourages us to relook at our life and see it in a brand new way. So I'm going to start with a question. What is your symbol? Okay, what is your symbol? What is something that represents who you are? Maybe it's an object. Maybe it's a a place, an, an event. What is something you have, a symbol, something that represents who you are, what you hope for in life? What is, what's something that symbolizes you? What is your symbol? So uh, I'm 24, and I'm turning 25 this week. Um, yeah. Some people are like, wow, that's nothing. Like, come on, let me have my moment, you know? Quarter of a century is a big deal. And as, as I'm entering into this time, like, I'm reflecting on my measly 25 years on planet Earth. And as I'm doing that, I'm notice, I notice that I've had symbols all throughout. I ha- I've had symbols all throughout my life. In high school, one of my symbols was uh, I had a box of Tic Tacs. A box of Tic Tacs, that was my symbol. I always carried around Tic Tacs. My dad used to always have Tic Tacs. He would go to Costco and buy the, the, big, the big bag, you know, with a bunch of little boxes. And so I always had, in high school, a box of Tic Tacs in my pocket. And, you know, it's for several reasons, but when you're in high school, you start, you start really caring about how you look and how you're being perceived. And... One of my greatest fears was to be in a conversation with somebody and them having to stop me and let me know that, you know, I had stanky breath, you know. That was one of my biggest fears. I did not want that. And so I was downing, you know, Tic Tacs all day. I just had Tic Tacs all the time. Um, Always had it in my pocket. And there were some positive things. Obviously, I had, you know, uh, super minty, good, fresh breath all the time. But the downside is that everybody could hear me when I'm walking because my Tic Tacs would rattle in my pocket. And the few, there was a few times, you know, where I decided to, to skip class or, or just 
like tell the teacher, ask the teacher if I can go to the restroom and not come back for a very, very long time. Uh, and they could tell right away, like if they, they would hear me in the hallways, like, oh, that's Isai running, like he's not in class, you know. But that was part, that was what I wanted to do at the time. Like, I wanted to be this person. I wanted to be fresh, you know. I wanted to be that guy. And so this tic-tac box, it meant that for me, you know. It was like one of my symbols. And I continued into college, and you guys might have seen this symbol for me, but it was my hair, my man bun. You guys remember that? Good times. Rip man bun, dude. Good times, man. That was a good season. I started growing out uh, a sophomore in college. I started growing it out. And, uh, and I've never really been, I've never been into fashion at all. I'm not like about that, but I remember one day I grew out my hair and I had it like out, you know, and I went to the mirror and I looked at myself and I'm like, man, you know, looking like a young Jason Momoa out here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And for the first time I looked at myself in the mirror and the way I looked in the mirror was the way I felt on the inside. And I was like, okay, this is, this is who I am. I'm that guy. I'm that long-haired guy. I remember in, it was time for interviews at the end of my senior year with all the, the conferences in the Pacific Union, you know, with their suits, they come in and they interview you. It's kind of scary. And all my friends and family told me, Isai, if you want to get a job, you're going to have to cut your hair. I'm like, really? They're like, of course. You have to, nobody's going to hire you with that thing. Like, you're, you're not going to, you, do you want a job? I'm like, yes, then cut your hair. And I thought about it for a while. And I'm like, you know what? No. Like, I'm not going to do that. You know, this is a part of who I am, you know. And so I, I went to my interviews with a suit and with the rock in my man bun. And, and there was one conference who asked me, Isai, um, if, if you were to be placed in a church that had an issue with your hair, would you cut it? And I said, absolutely. Yeah, I would cut it. <laughs> Even though it's not, that, that conference did not hire me, obviously, you know, but it was a part of who I was. Like when I cut my hair two months ago, um, it was like a part of, part of me was left behind. Those of you who've cut your hair, you guys know, like it sounds dramatic, but it's true. Like, ah, oh, that's, that was a part of who I was. That was one of my symbols. Also in, in college, I had another symbol when I went to college, I had kind of this janky Android phone that just didn't really work well. And, and it's, try, it's hard to, to try to have a social life in college when your phone isn't working well. So I was trying to use other people's phone, and it wasn't working. So my family and friends, they came to me, and they said, Isai, it's time that you get an iPhone. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that. $500, $600, $700 for this machine? Like, I, what, why do I need that? I don't, I don't want that. But they insisted. I thought I was just fine, but my phone started deteriorating. It was just not, was not working. And so I decided to uh, buy myself an iPhone. I worked. I saved up. I went to the store, ready to buy my iPhone 6, I think it was at the time. And before I did, I decided, you know what? I just need to check with one more person. And so I called my roommate at the time. His name is Joe Cordero. He, uh, he plays here sometimes. Um, he used to have long hair. We grew it out together, and we cut it together, you know, holding hands. It was, it was beautiful. <laughs> um, so I called Joe, and I'm like, bro, um, I'm about to buy 
this, this iPhone. And he's kind of a techie guy, like the guy who like reads all the reviews and knows all the specs and stuff. And, uh, and, I, and I called him, I said, bro, is this, I'm about to buy this iPhone. Is this the right move? And he says, absolutely not. This is not the right move. I'm like, really? Because everybody says it is. He's like, no, it's not. And then, and then he says, bro, what you need to get is the Galaxy S5. The Galaxy S5. I'm like, really? Why? And he starts naming all these specs that this is better and this is faster, blah, blah, blah. You can customize. I don't know what he said. But point is, he convinced me. I was like, okay, I guess that's the move. And so I turned, I got my Galaxy S5. And looking back, I can say that was one of the worst decisions of my life. <laughs> terrible. The phone was terrible. It didn't work well. The battery life, it, it was so bad. I, bas- I had to have it plugged in like all the time. It was basically a landline, you know? And some of you guys don't even know what that is. Apparently, there was a cord and you couldn't go too far. Dark times, man, dark times. Uh, and I was so done. I was so upset because I just spent all the money I, I saved up on this Galaxy S5. I was so frustrated that I found my dad's old Nokia phone. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to use this. And I, and I used this Nokia phone for a while in college. And I would mock my Apple, Apple people. You know, can, can you guys put the, the picture on the screen? This is me. That's, I put an Apple sticker. Uh, and I wrote a 7 because that was my iPhone 7. I was like, this is my iPhone 7 right here. Don't hate on my, this was the awkward phase of growing out my hair. You guys can totally take that down, please. <laughs> Interesting times as well. But that was, that, that was my thing. Like, I walked around with my Nokia phone. And you know those, those uh, stereotypes that they're indestructible? They absolutely are. Like, they don't break at all. Uh, and after a while, I started getting tired and texting on that thing, and, and they told me again, my friends, my family, he said, it's time to get an iPhone. So again, I had to save up, and I went to the store, and I bought myself an iPhone, iPhone 6S Plus, and I've had that phone for like three, four years, and it's worked perfectly because I never update it, okay? I don't update my phone. Pro tip, don't update your phone if you want to keep it for a long time, because about a month ago, Apple did me dirty, man, and I woke up one day, and I saw it auto-updated, and now my phone's falling apart, and I might just go back to my Nokia phone, you know what I mean? <laughs> and this was more than just an indestructible phone for me. This was like, me. I, I walked around proudly. This is like, this is who I am. I'm not like you guys. It reflect, it was a symbol for me. This is what I believe about life, you know? It was one of those symbols. Let me ask you today, what is your symbol? What is something that represents who you are? In the book of Colossians, we are given Paul's symbol, the thing that represents who he is and what he's committed to. So I want to read in Colossians verse 2. It says this, devote, Colossians 4 verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us a door to the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. So Paul calls us to devote ourselves in prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Paul's essentially saying, hey, pray, pray for us too. Pray for us. He's reminding them, I'm in captivity right now, and I need your encouragement. I need your support to be able to move forward, to be able to keep going, to spread the good news of Jesus. 
Now, one of the things that I love so much about Paul is that Paul isn't the type of person that just pretends that everything's okay. He's not the guy who puts on a brave face and just shares the victories and the good things that are happening in his life. Actually, Paul is really open about his suffering. He's really open about the the struggles in his life and his shortcomings. And I don't think he's saying that to gain pity from someone. I think what Paul's doing by sharing those things is that he's setting a culture of authenticity. And in doing so, he's inviting us to join in because he knew, and, and we know it too, that church communities can oftentimes be the fakest, most inauthentic places on planet Earth. That's true. It's absolutely true. And, and, and traditionally, we've built our church culture this way. We've built a church culture that, that encourages positive perception and discourages honesty. And it comes from our theology because if we fail to reiterate the gospel of grace and the gospel of mercy, we're going to be painting a picture of a God who sees your personal failure as the ultimate adversary. And so we build unsafe spaces for each other. We build this place where we come and we put on our mask and we pretend like everything's fine. And, and we do that. I, we all do this. You know, have you met somebody that's like so fake that just like makes you fake, you know, that they're like, they're like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, good. How are you? Like, I don't even talk like that. You know, like, where did that <laughs> even come from? It's contagious. You know, it's contagious. <clears throat> And, and, and it's automatic for us, you know? Like, have you ever given one of those automatic responses? And I, I've done it so many times, and it's gotten me into trouble. I've asked, hey, how's it going? They're like, good, how are you? I'm like, good, how are you? I'm like, what? That doesn't, and they're like, good. And it's awkward, you know? If you've ever done that, say, mm-hmm. Thank you. We're going to be honest today. It's true. And, and I get it. Like, sometimes we don't have time to dive into people's stories. Like, like today, I'll do that with a lot of you guys. Like, hey, how's it going? Like, just checking in. And a lot of that is genuine, you know. But what I'm, what I'm trying to encourage us to do uh, is to find spaces, find places, find relationships where you can be honest about your struggles and your shortcomings. Where you can be honest. Find those places. Find those people. Because if we don't, All we're going to be is a multitude of isolated individuals living in shame under the weight of our personal failures. And maybe you've come in here sometime and and you feel, man, maybe I'm just like the only one, you know? Maybe it just seems that everybody else has it all figured out. I want to tell you, absolutely not. Like, we're all in this together. We're all in this journey with our highs and with our lows. We're all in this together. Paul is sending this culture of authenticity by being authentic himself. He's like, hey, we, I'm, I'm in prison. We're, we're suffering. Um, uh, we want encouragement. We need prayer from you guys. And he's doing that because not, nothing builds authenticity. Nothing brings out authenticity like authenticity, like someone being honest about what they're going through. And so we need to be the ones, as people come in, as we interact and do life with people, we need to be the ones to take the step to be vulnerable, to be authentic, so that we can build spaces where people can share both the highs and the lows of life. So then Paul reminds us of of how to interact with people who don't believe like us. He says in verse 5, 
Conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders or non-believers, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. I love this translation. Let your conversation be gracious and seasoned with salt. Paul, one of the greatest evangelists, right? He dedicated his entire life to missions, to, to spreading the good news about Jesus. He's calling his readers and calling us as well to join him in that and to do so by being wise in how you talk to people and being wise in how you talk to, to non-believers around you. And Crosswalk says this all the time. We see that for us, evangelism isn't an event that just happens, that we put together, but evangelism is, is a position of the heart, something that we always have to be ready for. Like the text says, uh, in every opportunity, we need to be ready to share that good news about Jesus to the people around us. And it's just your story. It's the story of when you encountered God for the first time. It is that. It is that. When you do, it says, put some salt on it. You know, put some flavor in it. Don't let it be dull and boring. Don't let it be flavorless. Speak about it with passion, that same passion that you experienced when you first fell in love with Jesus. May we always be wise and ready. May we be ready to, to talk passionately about our story with Jesus so that people can encounter him as well. So from verse 7 to 17, Paul gives out some final instructions and some remarks. Um, but then he ends the chapter and the entire book with one of, the, one of my favorite texts now that he has ever written. Now, keep in mind that Paul is in house arrest. He's, we're told in Acts 28 that he's in Rome. He spent two years in Rome in house arrest. And that's around like 61 AD. And that's where it is thought that he wrote a lot of these book, books, including Colossians, this letter. Uh, and he was able to write all these things through dictation. So he would say the things out loud, um, and stay, he had like a scribe or somebody who would write them down for him. And you might be thinking, house arrest? Well, that's not, I mean, that's not the most difficult of situations. But truly, it is clear that Paul was in physical pain. He was in emotional and spiritual pain. And, in, and it's in Rome, in captivity, after dictating this beautiful letter to the Colossians, that Paul writes his final verse. It's found in verse 18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember my chains. Remember my chains. I'm not going to lie, this kind of messed with me for a couple of weeks. Like, I read this, and I, and I just, I was trying to process, Paul, what are you trying to get at? What are, you, what are you trying to say? What is he trying to say? Remember my chains. And as I was reflecting, I was reminded of what Paul believes about pain and suffering and struggles. But by this time that he's written uh, Colossians, he had already written his second letter to the Corinthians. And by that time, he had already been through some crazy stuff. Paul, he had been beaten three times. He was shipwrecked three times. He was lost at sea. He had been stoned. He had been robbed. He wasn't getting enough sleep. And he had been hungry and thirsty. We read that in 2 Corinthians. But in this letter of 2 Corinthians, 
verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, he says something that clarifies his stance on this. He says, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. That's amazing. And so in Colossians, when he says, remember my chains, I don't think Paul's trying to get some sort of pity out of somebody. He's not. For, for, for Paul, he's saying this confidently, boasting about the strength that he's able to find in Jesus Christ. For Paul, his chains are his symbol. His chains are his symbol, not his victories, not his accomplishments, but his chains. They represent who he is, what he's committed to. For him, they represent what he believes. They represent the faithfulness of God in his life. For him, his chains, his, his battle scars, they are his manifesto. And Paul's inviting readers, remember that. Remember my chains. Remember what I'm all about. Paul sees the darkest moments of his life as symbols of strength and of hope. And so today I want all of us to reflect on this one thing, this one question. What are your chains? What are your chains? What are your chains? What are those battle scars in your life? These are things in your life that have marked who you are, the difficulties, the battle wounds. What are your chains? What are those things for you? And maybe you have never thought about it this way. But truly, like Paul, those chains, those battle scars in your life can serve as symbols and reminders of who you are and what God has done in your life. What are your chains? What are your battle scars? As I reflect on my life, it's clear. Those, those chains like, come up right away. And I have several of them. Um, but the, the first one that comes to mind, and I've shared this before with you guys, is, um, is uh, I struggled with anxiety when I was like in junior high, early high school. I struggled with it a lot. And we've said this before, but if you're somebody in here who's struggling with anxiety or depression, we want to... We want to just encourage you to seek help. Reach out. Reach out to somebody from the prayer team. Reach out for, uh, to us. We want to connect you with somebody, a, a professional who can help you out. This is not a taboo subject for us, and we pray that it's not for you either. So if you're struggling with that, um, please reach out. And I know everybody's anxiety is different, and for me, it kind of manifested itself in panic attacks. I had panic attacks, and I would have them um, during the night. I would wake up in the middle of the night, one o'clock in the morning, and, and, and be in so much, I was so anxious, I would have this panic attack. And if, if you've ever had a panic attack before, you know um, it's like the worst feeling in the world. It, it, I don't know how to explain it, but I just, what I used to, share, to, to explain it to people is that um, it just feels like I'm kind of staring death in the face, you know? It feels like I'm going to die, and it's, there's hopelessness in there. And so my mom and I would be the ones to kind of deal with this together, and we wrestled through this. And after, you know, a lot of conversations with counselors, and they, 
the idea came up of like, hey, why don't you try using music kind of to cope with, with some of your anxiety? And so we tried that. Um, and so when I was having a, a panic attack, my mom would hand me a guitar. This is me like at 11, 13, 12, 13 years old. Um, would hand me the guitar and I would play. I would play as I'm having this panic attack. And sometimes it would help. I remember one time, it got, it got so bad, I was playing and I was having this panic attack and I was under such duress that I grabbed the guitar and I threw it on the ground. And, and the back of the guitar cracked open. I still have that guitar somewhere. somewhere. Um, and it, it, it was tough. I, that, I did not like that. I was really sad that that happened. So we stopped doing that for a while. Instead, my mom was like, play the piano. Why don't you play the piano? <laughs> and, so, and so I did. I, I played the piano. And, and it, it was in the middle of the night. We grew up in an apartment complex. So I, I, I would be in there, you know, playing my hymns, playing my praise songs. And I would wake up the entire neighborhood, you know. I'm sure they woke up and they're like, ah, Isai's having a panic attack, you know. Um, <laughs> And I remember those moments. I remember those moments like sitting down and playing. My mom would be like, play hymns, play something. And I would play as tears were rolling down my face, trying to deal with the darkness that I was experiencing. Those were difficult times for me. Those were really tough. Those were real chains in my life. And I have, I have real battle scars from those things. But here's the thing that I notice as I'm reflecting and looking back. Music, the thing that I used, that I try to use to, to deal with this darkness in my, my life, are now the tools that I use to bring honor and glory to God. Yeah. And, and every time you see me up here on the, on the keys or picking up a guitar, it's not just me jamming. It's not because this is my duty or my job. It's not because of that, but when I'm up here for me, it's my manifesto, it's my declaration of what I believe about God, what I'm committed to, and what God has done in my life. And I'm not bringing those things up to be arrogant. I'm not bringing those things up to bring attention to myself. I'm bringing it up because, guys, for us, this is real. This is real. Jesus is real and Jesus is moving. And maybe it's about time that we start speaking boldly about the victories that God has, has won in our lives. Maybe it's time. God has done some amazing things and maybe we, we need to stop being shy about it. Maybe we have to speak out with confidence, boasting about the victory you find in Jesus. Crosswalk is about this. Crosswalk, it's not, it's not, we're not here because of the lights or the, the coffee or the haze. We're not here playing this church game. We're not about that. We're not here, we're not about church politics. We're not about religion. We're here because Jesus Christ is real and can radically transform your life and can transform this entire world. We believe that. And it's only the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that can turn your darkest moments, your chains into symbols of strength and hope for the future. What are your chains? What are your chains? Yeah. What are your chains? What are those things? Richard, what are those things, bro? What are those things? Jacobo family, what are those things? What are those chains? What are those, what are those battle scars? Eldon, what are, those, what are those battle scars, bro? That God can turn in, in, into symbols of strength. 
And I feel like I have to say this. I, I, I feel like maybe there's somebody in here feeling like, oh, maybe God gave me those chains. Maybe God caused those things to happen. Can I say, no, God did not cause that pain. God did not cause that suffering. God did not cause those chains in your life. But by the grace of God, your story did not end there. What we can see about the death and resurrection of Jesus is that Death never wins. There's always a patron. There's always one more move. And if you feel stuck there, there's always another move. There's always another step. And God has a way out. We believe this. This is real. What are your chains? Some of you guys can look at those things and, and declare boldly, God, thank you that I, I don't deal with that anymore. But now your chains are symbols of strength. What are your chains? What are your chains? We all have them. It's, it's a part of being human, unfortunately. Even Jesus had those, those chains, those battle scars. If we read the, the story of crucifixion, um, we see that Jesus went through one of the worst deaths imaginable. Jesus was clearly in pain, clearly suffering, and emotional, physical, spiritual pain. And Jesus died. And three days later, he rose again. And as he started appearing to people, he could have, he could have appeared in all of his splendor, in his, his holy crown, right? He could have done that. But I want you to see this, this scene in John 20, verse 19. He's appearing to the disciples here. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. What were once nails through his hands what was once pain and suffering, unspeakable pain, now became the greatest symbols of God's love for us. What are your chains? These chains, these battle scars of Jesus, they're worth remembering. And so we're going to take a time today to reflect on that, to reflect on, on what Jesus did. We're going to do communion. You guys should have received one of these guys. These are the emblems we'll use. If you haven't received them, if you don't have them, I want to ask you to raise your hand and keep your hands up high, um, and somebody's going to come around and pass some to you. We want to make sure that everybody participates in this. If you're sitting at home and you're watching, go to your fridge. Get some juice and some bread, some leftover pizza, whatever it is, it's symbolic. Um, and because we want you to join us as well. Um, if you've never done this before, if, you, if this is your first time doing this, um, there's, nothing, there's nothing magical that happens. There's nothing magical in here. It's just juice and a little wafer thing. Um, but for us, this is, this is a way to remember. These are symbols of what God has done for us. So please make sure to raise your hand nice and high. We're almost, we're almost there. We have some people over here, some in the back.
కోసం There's some people here on this side as well. Somebody could help us out there. They're coming for you guys in a second. Keep your hand raised if that's okay. Thank you guys. <clears throat> so I'm going to read this text um and after reading it, I'm going to invite you guys to take the emblems and we're just going to take a time to reflect, a time to to think and remember of what God has done for us. The text is found in 1 Corinthians 11. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, "This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way he took the cup of wine after saying supper saying this cup is a new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood for do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again so let's take a moment take the emblems and just reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus did for us pray together God we thank you that we can just take a time to reflect on the amazing sacrifice that you did for us we're so grateful for the extent that you're willing to go to show us how much you love us and may we be reminded of this when we're feeling alone when we're feeling like we have no purpose may we able to be May we be able to remember um, what you did on the cross. It's the greatest symbol of, of love, and we're just so grateful for that. We're in awe of it. And I pray that if there's anybody with chains in here, may your spirit enter into their lives, and may they be able to turn their chains into symbols of your love and grace. Thank you God in your name we pray. Amen.